Don't touch that dial. It's the American Grooves Radio Hour with your host, Joe Laurel. Armstrong and his Hot Five Cornet Chop Suey recorded some 97 years ago. Sounds like just yesterday to me. Anyway, welcome. This is Joe Lauro. You're listening to the American Grooves Radio Hour, like the man said. And tonight, we're going to be focusing on some of the earliest jazz recordings that were not from New Orleans or Chicago, but from New York. And most of these very early jazz bands were bands of five members, generally cornet or trumpet, trombone, clarinet, 
piano and drums. And they were all in the mold of the rage of 1917, 1918, the original Dixieland Jazz Band, which, in fact, was a band from New Orleans, but they made their fame and fortune playing at Risen Weber's nightclub in New York around 52nd Street or 57th Street, somewhere around there, uh, uh, at the very, very end of World War One beginning what was known as the jazz craze. So here are some of the copyists of that great band. They were such a rage. Everything became jazz slowly but surely after that band hit town. And the first band, I believe, that that followed the mold in a very authentic way was a band known as the Original Memphis Five. Not exactly from Memphis, more like Brooklyn. But here is the Memphis Five around 1920 playing their Memphis Glide. More about them in a minute.
original Memphis Five playing their own Memphis Glide, actually recorded in 1923, not 1920 as I originally stated. And the lineup was uh, Phil Napoleon, who was the leader playing cornet, uh, Myth Mole, famous trombonist, Jimmy Lytell on clarinet, Frank Signorelli on piano, and Jack Roth on drums. And I play that record for a personal reason. That was the first Jazz 78 I ever found as a very, very young record collector. I think I was 13 years old. I was friends with a fellow named uh, Jimmy Hanrahan. We were in the Junior Naval Reserves together. And I went to his house one day and he had a box of records in his basement that we were using uh, to hit with a baseball batter because they shattered so well. And I took a few of them home. You know, we were kids. And uh, I played the Memphis Glide on the perfect label. And I just, I don't know, man. I don't know what it did. But it was something that just struck a chord in me. And I still have that very record. And you just heard it. The Memphis Five went on for almost 10 years. We're really about 10 years. I, I think they were uh, uh, put together around 1919. And they were not just a recording band. They played extensively in the Northeast. They had a residency in Coney Island during those years right after World War I. They were an extremely popular band. They played everywhere, uh, from New York City to Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, to Indiana. They were everywhere. And, you know, they, they continued to record. The, the lineup changed a bit, but what was consistent was Phil Napoleon. It truly was his band. The other guys came and went, although the, the lineup was pretty solid from, say, 1919 to 19. 19- 24, 25. And then as the small jazz band became passe, it actually fell out of favor with the emergence of larger bands like Paul Whiteman and his orchestra and a more tame version of jazz. They fell out of favor. All the guys were great musicians, so they continued to work. But the Memphis Five thing became less and less. Case in point, we're going to play a few more recordings of them. Here they are uh, towards the end of their recording career. This is in 1928, and they're playing a tune that had been recorded recently, uh, meaning recently at that time, by Louis Armstrong. It's a tune called Fireworks. Thank you. 
original Memphis Five. This time, no Jimmy Lytell, but Jimmy Dorsey on clarinet, trombone, Miff Mall. No, actually, trombone on that is Tommy Dorsey. Uh, and Jimmy Dorsey is cheating a little, playing an alto horn at the beginning. Not usually something the Memphis Five used. Again, it was usually clarinet, trombone, trumpet, or um, or cornet. Uh, but this is a bit later, 1925, eight years after they began, and styles were changing, no doubt. But the Memphis Five were enormously successful, and they were recording for every label, from Victor to Columbia to Brunswick to Vocalion to Paramount to Jeanette, and some of the labels, like Paramount, used them to back some of their African-American Blues singers. Blues was the rage. Classic blues was happening. Bessie Smith, Alberta Hunter. And here is uh, a tune that the Memphis Five recorded with one Ann Myers as the vocalist in 1923. A tune also recorded by Bessie Smith that year. Taint nobody's business what I do.
unlike so many groups that were recorded during the jazz age, the early jazz age, the Memphis Five truly were accomplished musicians. I mean, really crackerjack players that played on so many thousands of records, not just by the Memphis Five, but were called to studio work uh, through many, many years in the 1920s and 30s, whereas so many regional and local bands were also recorded, and they just didn't really have the the musicianship that the OM5 uh, and uh, some of the other New York recorded groups had a lot of a lot of those groups were one-offs. There were local sensations. They sold records only in a small region, thus are very rare. That's the stuff that all the collectors are looking for. Even though the uh, trombone player may be a little, a little bit out of tune, and the band in general isn't necessarily that great. What they make up, uh, what they lack in musicianship, they usually make up for in enthusiasm. But the Memphis Five guys were really, really top of their game. And and again, they were not from Memphis. They were really Italian-American immigrants for the most part, especially the first lineup. Phil Napoleon, Charlie Pinella, uh, and uh, Frank Signorelli, who also was a constant in the band through all of, all of its years, he was the pianist. And we're going to we're going to end the Memphis Five segment of this broadcast with their final session as the original Memphis Five with of course Phil Napoleon on trumpet at that point and Frank Signorelli. I think the Dorsey brothers are also on this. Here's their version of a tune they were probably playing for 10 years. Jazz Me Blues, recorded by Columbia Records, the final Memphis Five session, 1931.
to use a famous quote by Jimmy Durante, everybody wants to get into the act. And you know something? Even Jimmy Durante wanted to get into the act. Durante was a pianist. He was a ragtime piano player working at Coney Island, working down in Chinatown. And when jazz hit big time in 1918, what did Jimmy do? But he started his own jazz band, and he called his band the New Orleans Jazz Band. Now, Jimmy, I think, was from Brooklyn as well, but he did have a couple of credible players from the Crescent City, including Archie Biquette on clarinet and Arnold Loyacano on drums. Both of those fellows recorded in New Orleans a bit after this. They came to New York on the heels of the original Dixieland Jazz Band, who were just blowing it all up at Risen Weber's Cafe. And here's Jimmy's band. We're going to play one side by his band, recorded, believe it or not, in 1919, January 19, on the Jeanette label, Jimmy Durante and his New Orleans Jazz Band playing the Jada Medley. <laughs> Thank you. 
Jimmy Durante making his mark on the jazz world with his New Orleans jazz band. But hey, you know, we've been talking about the original Dixieland jazz band, the fellows that actually came up from New Orleans. Leader Nick LaRocca on cornet, Eddie Edwards on trombone, Larry Shields on clarinet, Tony Sparbo on drums, and originally Henry Ragas on piano. He passed away at a very young age, I think around 1919, replaced by J. Russell Robinson. But here they are. Here is their first Victor recording. If you look at the record, it says the original Dixieland Jazz Band, J-A-S-S, before the word J-A-Z-Z was actually in use. Primitive stuff, but here they are in February of 1917 playing their own, the original Dixieland jazz band, One Step. for us today to realize how absolutely groundbreaking that recording was and that music at that time being played up north. It was 
a wild abandon that was significant. The war was over. World War I was over. So many young men lost their lives. America was ready to come back home, and certainly the youth ready to have some fun. And what better thing than the wild abandon of early jazz? And, you know, we listen to Nick LaRocca and his pals. You don't understand it now, but... It's, it's sort of like I compare it to uh, what Chuck Berry meant to people like the Beatles and all the all the younger kids that were like 10 years younger than him. When Chuck Berry came, it was so revolutionary and so amazing with that great guitar. And John Lennon, Paul McCartney, you name it, Eric Clapton, they were all so influenced by that. And it's the same with the original Dixieland Jazz Band. LaRocca set so many musicians to follow on their path. Miff Mole and his band with Red Nichols on trumpet. And of course, Bick Spiderbeck were totally influenced by the original Dixieland jazz band, as were Jimmy Dorsey, Tommy Dorsey. You know, these guys were, say, eight or nine years younger. They had access to the phonographs and the records, and they certainly did try to emulate their heroes. Legendarily, is that a word? <laughs> anyway, you know what I mean. Big Spiderbeck got the Jasmine Blues and Tiger Rag and all of those early original Dixieland jazz band recordings. He slowed them down on the phonograph so he could hear every note and try to play those notes. And in fact, we're going to do an entire show very soon on the influence of the original Dixieland jazz band on early jazz. But let's have one example now. Here is Miff Mole and his little molars, Red Nichols on trumpet, Miff Mole on trombone, Pee Wee Russell, I believe, on clarinet, Vic Burton on drums, and Rue Bloom, I believe, on piano. And their version of the song you just heard, the original Dixieland jazz band, One Step. But this one recorded 10 years later, around 1928. <laughs> Thank you. 
might add that small band jazz was largely out of favor when that recording was made in 1928. So it's great that we have examples of this type of jazz at that time when the sort of the early big band jazz, pre-big band the way we understand it, but large orchestral jazz was really what was in favor at that time. So it's wonderful that there are many recordings from that era with great musicians influenced by Nick LaRocca and his pals doing their own thing with that music, taking it just a little bit further than the LaRocca could. Um, there's a lot of arguments and, and, and controversy about whether LaRocca in particular was really a jazz player, meaning did he play it differently all the time? Seems that he did not. It seems that he had his parts and he stuck with them. Here is a version of yet again that same tune, but this time recorded by the original Dixieland Jazz Band when they had their mid-1930s revival. Here they are in 1936, some 20 years later from the original version, playing that tune again for Victor Records during their revival. And you know something? LaRock is playing basically exactly the same stuff. <laughs> Thank you. 
in keeping with our show tonight, where we're exploring the fabulous fives, the early small jazz bands that were recorded from the late teens to the early 1920s. That was the original Louisiana Five, Anton Latta's band. He had an earlier version of the band simply called the Louisiana Five. We'll play one of their cuts in a minute. They were, some of those fellows were actually from Louisiana. They recorded in New York. But anyway, uh, if you're just tuning in, this is Joe Lauro and the American Grooves Radio Hour. You're listening to us at WLIW-FM Southampton over the air at 88.3 and serving Eastern Long Island and Southern Connecticut, 96.9 in Western Suffolk and streaming at WLIW.org backslash radio and on all of your favorite streaming platforms. This is listener-supported WLIW-FM, Long Island's only NPR station. And here is the Louisiana Five. Thank you. 
started in New York in November of 1919. The Louisiana Five, an unusual jazz band in that it was cornetless. That's Charlie Pinella, who played with the original Memphis Five on trombone, uh, New Orleans musician uh, Alcide Nunez, and Anton Latta on drums. Nunez is on clarinet. Uh, and they're a five-piece band, keeping with our program. And I admit that this music probably sounds a bit archaic to those of you who are not truly historians or lovers of this early stuff. But I try to bring us all uh, music that you might not hear every day and dig into that deep well of great Americana and the history of the music that we call country and blues and jazz. And tonight we're with the earliest jazz recordings. I know some of my record collector pals understand what we're doing, and uh, I hope they're enjoying it. I know that I am not a historian. If I'm getting a word or a date wrong, please forgive me. But I do try to make up for it with enthusiasm. So we're going to close out with uh, a recording by another New York five-piece band. They said they were from Indiana, but they were really from Brooklyn, (laughs) the original Indiana Five via Flatbush, New York. Thank you. 
Well, folks, that about wraps it up for us here at the American Grooves Radio Hour. I hope you've enjoyed our little exploration of some of the early small jazz bands, the Fabulous Fives that were very, very popular, number one from about 1917 to about 1923, when the style was overtaken by the larger dance orchestrated semi-jazz bands of the day. But small band jazz lives on, of course. It just isn't number one top of the charts anymore. Well, anyway, I'm going to leave you with uh, Phil Napoleon, who was the trumpet player with the Memphis Five. His incarnation of larger band jazz, 1926. Here's Phil with a larger group trying to keep the flame going with their version of clarinet marmalade. Good night, folks. Tune in next week. Radio Hour is brought to you weekly on WLIW-FM Southampton, 88.3 on your radio dial, and at WLIW.org, and all streaming formats. 